0: This is The Way We Connect, exploring the way we date, relate, and communicate. I'm Gwyneth Jones, or Gwen. So I'm getting to a topic that we've probably all been connected to in some way, and that is cheating. So why do people cheat? BBC Why Factor recently had an episode where they talked about why people cheat. And apart from the usual theories about, oh, you know, somebody wanted more attention and love, the other person wasn't giving it, someone wanted to explore their identities and themselves, the BBC went into a discussion about how a certain gene in prairie voles determined whether they'd be monogamous or promiscuous. They even suggest that things like being an extrovert or being overly sexual can determine whether we cheat or not. They even talk about impulse control. It was kind of a difficult listen. But what we don't talk about is why is cheating such a taboo? Why does society insist on making us pathologize cheating as if it signals that something is wrong with us or wrong with the relationship? Why do we have episodes called Why Do People Cheat? When I thought about making this episode, I originally had planned to look at why people cheat. But after having this conversation with my guest Kira, I changed my mind. I want to look instead at how being cheated on changed one person's entire perspective on monogamy and i wanted to maybe also ask why don't people cheat so today i'm going to introduce you to my guest kira and we're going to follow their journey from monogamy to non-monogamy
1: my name is kira williams i'm a phd i guess and i'm a genderqueer trans woman whose pronouns are they them i live in canada um, in kitchener waterloo which is a region in southwestern ontario I uh, live and work as an academic, basically, so I do research for a living. I was initially monogamous for quite some time. I didn't really know there was any kind of alternative. I uh, kind of just slipped into it because that's what I was taught to do. And um, I tried really hard to be monogamous, to be honest with you. I tried really hard to live the idealized relationships that were associated with monogamy. In particular, the term, i normativity, I think stands out to me, which is the idea that Basically, there's this one idealized type of relationship and that that's kind of what you want to aspire to. But what changed? Well, um, I have to say that there are actually a few relationships that I think slowly pushed me towards this direction. But I think the biggest one, honestly, was actually my current relationship with my wife. However, I should also add that uh, I think my last monogamous relationship, I think, was the one that really opened my eyes to how I kind of want to practice relationships in general and my perspectives towards them.
0: Most names are changed to protect people's identities. So, what relationship started Kira on their journey to non-monogamy?
1: Rebecca and I um, had a, about a two-year relationship. That was actually my first, I guess you could say, long-term relationship. And I was still in high school. And um, I have to say that I struggled really hard in this relationship, um, mainly because I actually didn't know how to practice society's expectations with respect to relationships themselves. So. For instance, a lot of the things that people take for granted, and uh, it actually was very hard to learn how to do this. And on top of that, I'm trans, as I've noted, and I wasn't out at the time. So it was like (laughs) I was being pushed really hard to be in what I called boyfriend mode. So it was kind of like people were pushing these social expectations on me, not only to be monogamous, but also to kind of try and fulfill the rules that are ascribed to men and masculine people in that kind of context. So what was really interesting about that was navigating my feelings with respect to those practices. And at the time, I found myself continually uncomfortable with how I kind of practiced my relationship with Rebecca. And it's not because anything to do with Rebecca herself. She's a wonderful person, and I'm very grateful we had this relationship together. But the thing is, is that sometimes we'd run into situations together where essentially, how should I say it, our perspectives didn't quite line up. Rebecca thought that I would be jealous, for instance, if she got closer to other other what she perceived as men at the time. And she thought that basically making me jealous was a way of pushing me to be closer with her, for example. And I know this is not true of all non-monogamous people, but for me, I've actually never concretely felt jealousy before. So the strange thing was I was continually being pushed to kind of enact this overprotectiveness and jealousy. But it always just kind of stuck out to me that what I really wanted was for Rebecca to be able to open her heart to other people and to kind of connect with them. And I was actually kind of happy when, when she did which kind of led us to odds at each other, because um, essentially, you know, she would try and push me towards being more and more monogamous. And it was like, whenever she would do acts that kind of push the boundaries of monogamy, I actually would kind of applaud her. And I would think that this is exciting in a way, like kind of a kind of a way that I wanted to do relationships. But at the time, I lacked the terminology and understanding that I do now. So all I could really say was that some things felt right, you know, and some things didn't quite feel right. And You know, being with only one person and essentially trying to force all of my needs and wants onto that one person didn't feel right at the time. One day, Rebecca actually came to me and she told me that she, you know, her idea with me was to get married and have a family. And I remember that day because um, that was the first time I really realized that I didn't really want to get married in a way, or at least in the traditional sense. And I didn't really want to have a family either.
0: I'm guessing that didn't work out because you had very different things that you wanted from a relationship.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And at the time, it was hard for us to communicate those differences. And a lot of that was my fault, honestly, because I was still struggling to grapple with these feelings, mainly because when you lack the vocabulary for what you're experiencing, it can be very difficult to communicate it to other people. So on the one hand, we both knew that we were better off kind of moving in our own direction. But at the same time, I think most people know how it is when you're close to somebody and you love them. It it can be hard to have a change, especially something that can be an anxiety provoking situation.
0: So we started with a relationship where jealousy just wasn't having the intended effect. In fact, it was possibly creating what a lot of non-monogamous people call compersion, which is defined as the joy that you feel when your partner is receiving joy or love from somebody else, kind of being happy for somebody. It's an interesting idea that flies in the face of our normal ideas about relationships. So your partner starts to fall in love with someone else and you feel warm and fuzzy and happy for them instead of jealous and threatened. So then there was... Deanna.
1: Deanna and I actually kind of were not only monogamous but we pushed the limits I think of monogamy in a sense that we really wanted to live very hard on this stereotype of what monogamy was supposed to be In particular, we had kind of had this notion that when you're monogamous and you're close that you don't need other relations with most other people because you should fulfill your needs and wants through the relationship that you have with each other. And in hindsight, I know that's not a very good way to practice monogamy. And I know that many people practice it differently. I'm grateful for that. But the way that we practiced it was kind of toxic to both of us. And we tried very hard to live up to this ideal. We loved each other very much, but Ultimately, I think what happened is that by closing our hearts off to other people, we actually started to hurt each other and ourselves. And um, our relationship kind of took a nosedive pretty, I wouldn't say early on maybe, but I think after a year or so. And we tried very hard to kind of revitalize it through new ways of interacting with each other. But I think ultimately the gap was that we were not growing or nurturing ourselves as beings. And essentially that kind of disconnected us, not only from everyone else, but from each other. So you're
0: saying that you neglected friendships as well, yeah? It was just everybody got kind of put on the back burner.
1: (laughs) Everyone got the cut, yeah. And, you know, it's embarrassing for me to kind of say that, honestly, with you. Because on some level, in hindsight, you know, for the people who know me today and who didn't know me at that time, it might seem very counterintuitive for me to say something like that. Because they usually see me as like a very open, loving person. You know, one thing that I've reflected on recently is the saying that my my love is unlimited and I let it flow freely. But um, at that time, my love may have been unlimited, but I did not let it flow freely, if that makes sense.
0: Was it just that it happened naturally or do you think there was a conscious effort of, okay, we want to be together all the time and that's what a relationship should look like?
1: Both. I mean, this is the way that we've been taught to do things. But on the other hand, too, we also reinvested and reproduced that kind of notion of togetherness through basically not only the philosophy that we'd read together, like authors, and some of these authors, I have to admit I'm a little embarrassed to, to mention, so like reading a lot of work by Ayn Rand, for example, and idealizing kind of relationships or higher love, but in any event, you know, reading philosophy works by, you know, people who would talk about the nature of love and the structure of it with respect to monogamy, And we kind of saw each other and we wanted to embody and practice this form of really close intimacy with each other. We loved each other so much that we thought this was the right way to go, even though in the end, I think that it kind of hurt us. So on the one hand, it was like, yes, we were trying to consciously create that situation. But on the other hand, I mean, we didn't really know any better. I think that's what we were taught to do.
0: It's almost this idea that, you know, a fire without getting oxygen eventually dies out, right? So if it's just two of you with no other input from the outside world, <laughs> I think it's quite hard to grow in any way.
1: Yeah, fair. I mean, when you cut off and make it a closed system, then essentially you create a dynamic equilibrium that exists inside the closed system. But we both know that the universe is structured so that essentially entropy is a property, I guess, of matter in a way. So we know that you know if you close off a system, things start to basically have less and less complexity on some level. So uh, I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, but it can be kind of a, a loss of information, a loss of context, a loss of self on some level.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, to put it in sort of, I don't know if I want to say layman's terms, but you know, if you don't have other people's opinions to think about and you don't have other ideas floating around, right? It can get very boring, I think, in the end.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that we were meant to be connected to other people. And I'm not saying, like, how should I say it, how many people or what ways we should be. I'm no anthropologist, to be honest with you. But I can say that, you know, I don't think we were meant to be alone. And at least for me, I don't think I was meant to only be with one person.
0: So two people wanting to show their love for each other, eventually creating a closed system where not even friendships could get in. And then there was May.
1: May and I met when I lived in the United States uh, for the first time. We had a really wonderful and close relationship, honestly, with each other. In a way, I had learned a lot from my lessons with Deanna, so we weren't like trying to force each other to be close all the time, but we were still trying to embody this kind of monogamy, and there was still a closed-offness about it, which is hard because at that time I was becoming more and more aware of basically the fact that I would like to practice other kinds of intimacies with people. And I'm not saying that it had manifested immediately into having more relationships, but what it certainly meant is that I saw the value of things like friendship, for example, and I couldn't really turn my back on it. And what was really wonderful about May is that we actually were able to practice those things with other people. However, when it came to the notion of whatever a romantic relationship was, that we still had that hard limit. And I was extra confused about this for a number of reasons. One is because I'm aromantic, to be honest with you, so I don't really understand romance very well, but The other is that we were still trying to practice this kind of idealized pedestal-like relationship because I don't know, I guess, again, that's just what we've been taught to do and the way that we understood love was supposed to be. And it was very hard for us to practice that. And in particular, May, I think that in the end, um, what really kind of pushed me to actually start appreciating these different perspectives and confronting non-monogamy as a, a valuable concept is the fact that May cheated on me, honestly. It was a, a very hard moment because um, I, I, I guess I had been cheated on before, to be honest with you. But at the same time, uh, it's, it's hard to describe. Like When you're cheated on, the way that people expect you to react is essentially a sense of betrayal. And I can definitely ascribe a sense of betrayal. But the betrayal for me is not in that, how should I say it, a jealousy that I, I fear that I will lose this other person. It's a betrayal of trust and i think that what i was trying to grapple with is that when i was cheated on by may i had to differentiate between these different types of betrayal or the loss of trust and i had to understand what my feelings meant and in particular i think it was that moment of being cheated on that really made me have to reflect that you know what actually hurts me here is not the idea that i'm going to lose this person or that our relationship will somehow fundamentally end because i didn't believe that But the fact that I I don't know if I can trust this person anymore based on the consent and the agreements that we had made. And when you realize it or you think of it in that sense, it actually can really change your perspective because then you see that what's really at play, I guess, is not necessarily, you know, you only want this one relationship that's idealized. It's that you're open to these other relationships, too, if only if only your partner had basically talked to you about it, if only there had been some form of consensual communication And once I saw that, I I couldn't really go back. And I kind of told her what I told you now, that I was upset and I felt betrayed and that the main reason was because my trust had been broken and I didn't know if I could reestablish my trust for my own reasons. I had my own personal issues with trust. But the thing was, is I told her that we couldn't be together anymore because I could not trust her. So I broke up. I think she handled it well. I think that she took responsibility for her actions. And in a way, I almost wondered if she was struggling with non-monogamy too. Not because I'm saying that she turned out to be non-monogamous. In fact, I think she turned out to be monogamous anyway. But how should I say it? Even monogamous people, I think, have to confront these kind of feelings. Like, for example, what do you do when you simultaneously are attracted to multiple people? Or what do you do when you are attracted to different kinds of people? And for instance, being attracted to only one kind doesn't preclude you're being attracted to somebody else. How do you express that? And how do you practice it in a way that does justice to your current relationships? And I think that that's what she was trying to struggle with. And she accepted responsibility, as I noted, and she, she was really hurt by the breakup. She wanted to do anything she could to get us back together and um, at the time I wasn't going to have any of that, so basically I didn't get back together then.
0: And then Kira found Ari, and they got married, and that's when the non-monogamy was finally given its place to shine. So how did they first bring it up?
1: We we had both essentially ran into non-monogamy because I ended up having feelings for another person at the same time as having feelings for Ari. And, um, instead of running away or trying to pretend, or this was before I would even acted on these feelings, to be honest with you. So it was like I was having feelings simultaneously for somebody else, which I understood was kind of my natural expression, but I didn't want to be able, hmm, I didn't want to cheat on my partner. We were still monogamous at the time. So what happened was, is that I actually opened up and I talked to Ari about it. And then we started to have a discussion about non-monogamy and in particular polyamory, and I think things kind of just started falling in place from there.
0: From just the conversation of, okay, what do you think about polyamory from that into actually, let's say putting it into practice, <laughs> how, how did that go? Cause I imagine it's not always that easy to just start living this completely different lifestyle.
1: Oh no, it's not, not at all. And in fact, polyamory is very confusing. I think um, in particular, I think it's confusing partly because of the complexity of what we're actually enacting, but I think even more because society hasn't really taught us about this. So it's almost like you're trying to learn to fly, but you don't have wings, or maybe you just got wings for the first time, and you're not really confident or sure of yourself. You don't really know where to go or what to do, or in fact, you don't even know how to fly properly in some sense, but you're still determined to take off, and uh, that's kind of how it was.
0: Did you have any guidance?
1: Well, to be honest, I had met other polyamorous and non-monogamous people in my area, and yeah, we, we honestly would go meet them. Um, sometimes Ari and I would go together, other times we'd go individually, and I would talk with them. To be honest, at first it was kind of difficult to navigate because I still, even though I knew that I was non-monogamous at heart, I uh, still didn't know the depth of, I guess, how complex uh, relationships can be, or how, how should I say it, polyamory can be infinitely complex, which is one thing I love about it it's almost like along the way, we're inventing new kinds of intimacies or practicing them in ways that we haven't before. So on the other hand, it's like every person I would meet and talk to about it had a different perspective and we would learn from each other. And I think that's honestly what really kind of helped me. It wasn't going online and reading academic articles or even Wikipedia. It was honestly engaging and learning from others.
0: What does your relationship look like these days
1: well um it's funny because uh i've used the word relationship so many times in this conversation and nowadays i actually try and avoid using it like i prefer the term relation but again i'm a relation well maybe not again i should say i'm a relationship anarchist so this wasn't always the case but um over time i came to appreciate that how should I say, not only did I want to be able to practice non-monogamy, but I wanted to be able to decompose the hierarchies that were built into the structures of the relations that I had with other people. So the way that I practice it now is by non-hierarchically, well, as possible, because I think on some level hierarchies naturally occur when you actually get into relations with people, and I don't want to be in denial about them. But Basically, I practice that sort of non-hierarchical polyamory, if you want to call it that, by um, engaging with other people. And um, I know this is going to seem a little weird because it's going to sound very simple and almost natural, but I honestly just open my heart to other people and I communicate about the issues I want to talk about and I let our intimacies grow as they may and we nurture them together. And uh, I try not to force our relation into any particular structure. And basically, we just let things happen as they may. And as we run into situations that become more complex or need communication, we try and talk to each other.
0: So, for those listeners who don't know, we have had uh, one episode where we talked a bit about relationship anarchy, but could you explain what that means a little bit?
1: Sure. Well, there are different definitions of it, but to me, relationship anarchy is about a certain embodiment of practice of how we actually have relations or relationships, if you want us to call them that, with each other. So in relationships, usually what we do in our society is not only do we have them, but we also structure them in some kind of what we call hierarchy. So that is, we say that some relations or relationships are more important than others by virtue of, say, some property of them. So one earlier in the conversation, I mentioned amatonormativity. And in that case, amatonormativity again was the idea that basically we place some kind of relationship on a pedestal and say this is the one that we're striving for. Well, relationship anarchy is almost the opposite. Instead of trying to basically say some types of relationships or relations are more important than each other and that we should try and follow these idealized relations, I kind of take an opposite approach where I say that all relations or relationships on some level have a kind of equality about them. That's not to say that the quality of the relations are the the same because every person is different and every relation I have is different. But what I'm trying to say is that I don't inherently say that one is superior to the other, and I don't say that one is more important than the other. They're simply different relations, and anarchy is about embracing that kind of non-hierarchical structure.
0: Okay, so I'm curious to ask, actually, because you said that you're married to your partner, Ari. So what does being married mean to you in that context of non-hierarchical relationships?
1: Well, to be honest with you, we got married before I kind of accepted and realized that I'm a relationship anarchist, and it's something we've been working on together, because one thing about our marriage is that we've been slowly kind of removing the hierarchical structure of it towards other people. When I talk about relationship anarchy, I'm not saying that we should, for instance, abandon terms or we should abandon, say, ways of or models of understanding what relations are of each other. What I am trying to say, though, is that no particular relationship should be put above any other. So for example, when we actually got married, um, one thing that I thought was, yes, now we're married and our marriage is a reflection of the structure of our relation. And it's, it's a structure of relation that we've determined to give this title. And we've determined that this title reflects the structure of that relationship, not vice versa. I, I'm married to a wonderful human being. And at some level, I understand that the nature of our marriage is a reflection of how we feel towards each other. And therefore, I guess I'm, I'm just very grateful that we're able to simultaneously embrace both the fact that this relationship structure can actually have particular meaning, while at the same time also accepting that being married, for instance, is no superior to being friends, for example, with somebody else, I think. Well, for me, I guess maybe a good starting point is to examine the notion of friendship, for example, because to be honest with you, of all the different relation structures I have with different people, I think friendship is my favorite. And it's the one that actually on some level has been the most meaningful to me in my life. And uh, as I get older, I appreciate just how valuable friendship is. Now um, on the internet, you know, my social circles, I see memes that go around and they talk about how friendship itself can actually just be as meaningful and fulfilling as a romantic relationship that might seem deeply counterintuitive because we've spent our entire lives pursuing quite the opposite. In fact, we've been taught, as you've kind of noted with this programming, that friendship itself has boundaries that cannot be crossed, essentially. And now what I'm not trying to say is that we should have relations without boundaries. But what I am saying is that there's a certain idea or structural way of framing what a friendship is supposed to be. And therefore, in that framing, that basically there are only certain kinds of intimacies you can practice. And in fact, I see it differently. I think that when you actually have a relation with somebody, you can practice any kind of intimacy with them, but it has to be negotiated and consensual.
0: Yeah, and yet somehow, yeah, we've come up with this idea that the romantic partner is, you know, the one person that you have to have that connection with that transcends everything else, right?
1: Well, I'm a social scientist, so I think the thing is, is that when I examine this, I kind of put my social science hat on, and the way I see it sociologically is that Essentially, we exist in a society that has different kinds of what we call institutions or social structures. And uh, basically, when we go about our daily lives, these different structures and institutions, they basically constrain our behavior. So what I'm trying to say is that not only do we have certain restrictions on what we're allowed to do, but from our earliest days and our earliest memories and thoughts, we're actually indoctrinated inside. And I don't necessarily mean indoctrinate in a purely negative sense. What I just mean is that it's a cultural transmission.
0: So to put it into simpler terms, we're, you know, if I could say we're trained by society to see love in a certain way, right? And to have these constraints and these, yeah, ethics and morals tied up with it, right? So a lot of people might feel that non-monogamy is unethical, but they might not really be able to explain why. Do you encounter a lot of criticism about it or do you tend to... I don't know, move in circles where that doesn't come up as much.
1: There are two aspects of it, so I do receive critique about it. And it's partly critique that I've received from opening up to other people in my life. But on the other hand, I also don't open up about it to everyone. So to be fair, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the fact that I'm non-monogamous is no secret. If you go online, you look me up, um, you basically will be able to learn that detail quite quickly. However, because of the society that we live in, I also don't run around, you know, telling people like, hey, I'm not monogamous or when we have conversations about relationships, especially with monogamous co-workers or monogamous, I don't know, friends on some level, I don't always mention all of these details. And the reason is, is not because I don't trust them, but because honestly, because of the conditioning that we have, um, it can somehow make our conversations difficult with each other in trying. In having to explain myself as we're doing right now constantly is actually kind of an exhausting exercise
0: yeah absolutely so anytime that you deviate from the so-called norm right people are always expecting you to explain it and justify it and i imagine that gets Really exhausting. So my question, in fact, you know, I started off this uh, episode idea by going, oh, why do people cheat? But I think that's a very tired question. And what I want to ask instead is, why don't people
1: cheat? You know,
0: what what keeps people actually in a monogamous situation? So I don't know, what do you think?
1: That's a good question. Well, I'm no longer monogamous, so my perspective has changed. But I can definitely make some comments about it. I mean, from my perspective and experience, which is that You know, being somebody who's non-monogamous, I see many people in our community who basically think of monogamy as kind of toxic in some sense, intrinsically, and I actually don't agree. I think that monogamy can actually be practiced in ethical ways and that it can be right for many people. And for some reason, maybe it's because of complex histories of trauma. Maybe it's because of the way that we're, you know, neurochemically wired. Maybe it's because of the environment we grew up in. But I do know for some that essentially having this kind of one concentrated relationship, even if it doesn't live up to the ideals that, you know, society teaches, is a healthy way for them to go forward. And I think, therefore, what actually is at heart for cheating is not necessarily the structure of your relationship, because um, cheating occurs in non-monogamy too. And that's not something that we often talk about in the non-monogamy community, which is too bad. It's more a reflection, I think, of whether your wants and needs as a human being are met. The human condition, I think, on some level, is a very lonely one. You know, we come into this world and we experience separation from our earliest experiences, which is why we have things like attachment theory. But even further, I think that that separation and the qualia, so that is the experience of being only inside your own head, can be very disconnecting. And essentially, when we look out and try and connect with other people, it can be very difficult to actually open our hearts towards them, I think, on some level, because we go through these kind of traumatic experiences. And I think that what I'm trying to express is that we kind of reconnect each other through, I guess what uh, Schopenhauer would call the hedgehog's dilemma, um, which is the idea that essentially we want to get close to other beings, but also that we kind of hurt each other in the process of doing it. So it makes it hard. And I think that when you're going to cheat on somebody or you're thinking about it, it's because usually your wants and needs are not being met in some sense. And um, sometimes it's more difficult to actually express not having your wants and needs met because it will produce an anxiety provoking situation, than to simply honestly cheat. And I can definitely appreciate this because I'm not saying I've cheated before, but what I am saying is that there have definitely been moments where it could have happened. And uh, it was partly because at least for me, my wants and needs were not being fully met. So for example, when I talked about Deanna, I mentioned that we tried really hard to cut off other people and honestly that was a situation that brought us both very close to cheating on each other I think because we, we just needed intimacy so badly from anybody else any other human being and we considered and of course cheating is contextual right so what we considered cheating was basically having this kind of emotional intimacy with anyone. And when, you, when you're cut off from everyone, then of course you're gonna to wanna to have intimacy, emotional intimacy with another human being. Like where again, I don't think we're meant to be alone and to not open your heart or to keep it closed all the time is a very painful experience given what we're actually going through. So to come back and reiterate, I think what the answer to your question is, at least for me, I think it's when your emotional, well, not just emotional, but your wants and needs in general in a relation are not being met then there's a tendency to cheat because essentially it's easier sometimes to basically enact those needs and wants with other beings than to actually have to be honest and own up to those feelings to the people you love mainly because i think honestly you don't want to hurt them
0: yeah i mean a lot of what i read is that different needs are not being met right and it could be the need for closeness but it can also be the need for freedom and autonomy on the other hand so if you feel suffocated in a relationship you might need to express you know your freedom in some other way right i'm wondering sort of out loud for those people whose needs are not being met but they also don't cheat i mean obviously it can be a lack of opportunity as well but (laughs) you know or strong let's say moral conditioning uh, a lot of other things like that that keep people monogamous
1: yeah and you know the way i see it is that you how should i say it i don't think cheating makes you a bad person i think that we often commit actions that can hurt other people and we often look at them as mistakes and in fact if we call them mistakes maybe they are but i think that just because you cheat on somebody doesn't define you as a person so for example i don't hold it against me that you know she cheated on me once upon a time because i understand well okay so I, what I will say is that she made a bad decision, I think, and it's a decision that really hurt me. But on the other hand, I understand and empathize that as human beings that, you know, just like you were saying, when we don't have these needs met, that we can sometimes make these bad decisions or decisions that hurt others. And I usually think it's not because we're kind of malicious. I think it's because we have good intentions, but we often don't know how to practice them. And this kind of brings us back to non-monogamy, I think, because, again, we're, we live in a society where we haven't really been taught how to navigate these kind of feelings. So what do you do? What do you do when your needs aren't being met, but you've been taught that you can only manifest those needs through one relationship? I mean, then you're kind of in a, you know, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, to use an English expression, because on the one hand, you don't want to violate your ethics, but on the other hand, you don't want to violate your own sense of self.
0: Absolutely. that's That's what's so difficult, right? And idea that we can only get those needs met from one person might lead somebody to maybe cheat have the affair and then transfer all of that neediness onto the new person <laughs> you know because there can only possibly be one person who can hold all of those things in that way of looking at the world right
1: i, w- I was just gonna add that and you know like what how should i say to each the realm um, but for me, I find that the idea of putting all my wants and needs onto one person is an impossibly burdensome task. And it's not even because human, you know, there aren't people out there who might be able to manage it. It's just because like I, I accept that, you know, maybe it's just me, but I have quite a complex range of wants and needs. And I'm not sure I've ever met a single human being who could honestly meet all of them at the same time. And even if I did, I think that I would still, still want to practice non-monogamy mainly because I I wouldn't want to concentrate them all onto the responsibility and shoulders of one person.
0: Mm, Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you imagine someone putting all that responsibility onto you, it's quite a lot of pressure, isn't it?
1: It is. And I've been there before. So, you know, if if you're listening and you're going through that experience, then I just want to say that I appreciate that it's hard. You know, being monogamous, too, can be hard.
0: Of course, yeah, we don't want to say that non-monogamy is you know for everybody or the answer to everything and and i wanted to come back to what you said about you know how cheating does occur in non-monogamy because i imagine of course you know you set up your boundaries or rules with your partner partners and you you know like you said the reason you were so hurt when you were cheated on is because of the betrayal of trust right so it's the lying or that
1: feeling well um in non-monogamy con- cheating gets a little more complex because i think what you come to recognize is that at least for me especially in relationship anarchy, is that cheating is highly contextual. Um, and I don't mean to, that, to say that to negate the reality of cheating. Um, it is a very real thing, and it hurts a lot of people, and it's hurt me. But what I am trying to say is that once you come to practice non-monogamy, especially in the way that I am, you come to understand that cheating is something which it depends on the specifics of your relation with each person. And essentially the rules that you set out for each other. And for some people, that might sound very daunting because it's like, imagine having all these different rule sets with different people and then you want to make sure that you don't violate them. It almost seems like you might fall into some kind of trap where you actually constrain yourself more than you would in a monogamous relationship. And in fact, I think it's the opposite experience. Usually what I kind of, I find is that in non-monogamy, at least the way that I practice it, I mean, the emphasis is on Honesty, openness, and clear communication. And I think that as long as you have those, then um, essentially you can navigate and discuss these kind of issues before they actually become manifested in the form of cheating. And I think for me that I've had some hard conversations about this before with people I'm very close to. And um, how should I say, I don't want to play down how difficult that can be. You know, these conversations are really hard. That's why we often struggle to have them instead of cheating, for example. But I also think they're deeply rewarding. And as somebody who also throughout my life has suffered from um, attachment issues, I can definitely appreciate how difficult it can be to open your heart to somebody, you know, when you're scared that revealing the most personal and intimate parts about you might lead you to be, how should I say it, not necessarily abandoned or betrayed, but to not be recognized and validated. And, um, and of course, that's contextual too, because we all have different perspectives on the same situation. And likewise, I think monogamy is a little clearer, but in non-monogamy too, it can be confusing when cheating's actually occurred sometimes, because for instance, you might think that you've conducted your actions in such a way that you didn't violate your consensual agreements, but you know the person you're close to might disagree. And uh, I think what non-monogamy challenges us to do is instead of avoiding that situation and basically running off from each other, is to actually have a conversation about it and reflect and be accountable.
0: So it's always just so much vulnerability and communication and honesty, right?
1: Yeah, it's hard. It's very hard to do that. And therefore, you know, my experience with non-monogamy has been this, this can be a very hard process, but it's also very rewarding.
0: So for anybody who has been cheated on now, and maybe they're not sure, you know, how they feel about it, right? Whether they are non-monogamous whether they are definitely monogamous but they you know they feel very betrayed by it. I don't do you have any advice?
1: Most of and I know this is going to sound a little cliche given our you know current world, but I think that having mindfulness towards your own feelings is usually a good way to start examining things. See, when you get cheated on, and this is not only true of cheating, I think. I think it's true of most intense emotions that we have in our lives. It can be immediate and overwhelming. So, for example, when I was cheated on by May, I, I was a little devastated, not, again, because I felt jealous, but because it was like my trust had just been blown to pieces. And that was such an overwhelming and immediate experience that it made it difficult to appreciate all the other things that we had together. And what I'm trying to say here is that sometimes it's good to be able to not only sit with your feelings when you're having them, but to be able to curiously examine them. And I don't mean to detach on some level. I think that detaching can be just as problematic as over-attaching to your feelings. But what I'm trying to say is that when you put it into perspective and you examine your own feelings, you start to think about why is it that I feel this way? And what is it that causes me to feel this way? So for example, I've been cheated on. I'm hurting. Why am I hurting? And I think that's the kind of examination that I had to have in order to recognize my own perspective on how I would like to practice a relationship, for example. Because with me, for example, I needed to be able to see that it wasn't simply that I was hurt. I needed to understand that the reason I was hurt was not because, again, of the jealousy, but because that there is some kind of trust issue. And this is not going to be true of everyone. But I think that when you sit there in examination of yourself, then you come to understand not only your relationship better, but yourself. And I think that when you understand yourself better, that enhances your relations with other people.
0: And so those who are... Wondering whether they um, are going to cheat on a partner.
1: What do I think? Well, I think that it's always like a possibility. We can't discount that on some level, maybe the situation will arise and that occurs. And, you know, I know that's hard to accept, to contemplate that maybe we're capable of doing bad things too. But I would invite you to basically examine your actions and to be able to not only say that, yes, I'm capable of doing these kind of things, but also that I forgive myself because. No matter what you've done in the past, even if you've cheated yourself, even if you're listening to this and you think that you're inherently a bad person or you've been stained, again, I don't think that you're defined essentially by the bad choices you've made before. And I would encourage you, I think, to not only be able to examine yourself and your feelings, but also to forgive yourself. Because honestly, I think that the best way to truly love somebody else is to be able to love yourself.
0: That is a beautiful note to end on. So thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been wonderful.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: Have you had experiences that made you question the whole idea of monogamy? Has this made you want to learn more about polyamory and non-monogamy? What does stop people from cheating if they're not happy in a relationship? And is the whole idea of cheating a strange question to be asking in the first place anyway? Next time on The Way You Connect, I talk to Emily Nagoski about sex and desire and all those exciting things.